Morning, everybody. <clears throat> it's good to be with you today. My mom passed away this week. She had been sick. I'm heading down this afternoon to go do her funeral tomorrow, so I appreciate your prayers. Thank you. Many of you have expressed condolences, and I appreciate that very much. I want to uh, continue on in our series, and our series is on spiritual warfare. We call it Unseen. Because when you think about spiritual warfare, it has to do with this realm around us that we cannot see, the spiritual realm that opposes uh, God and opposes God's people, and that means you and me. And it's very real. It's, it's not something to laugh about. And you know, a lot of times when people talk about spiritual warfare, what they think about are what you see in the movies or what you hear about, demon possession, and of course, going toward Halloween, you know, all the horror movies are coming out. I absolutely deplore the Halloween holiday, but that's just me. Um, we make light of something so real. Um, and then, you know, the other issue is we think about Satanists. We certainly hear a lot about that. Suppose this weekend there are a group of witches in Washington, D.C. putting a hex on the Supreme Court. Um, and then, you know, we talk about the occult. Now, all those things exist. I'm not denying their the reality, but oftentimes that is more in the pagan and unbelieving world and culture. When it comes to those of us who consider ourselves followers of Christ, uh, the enemy's tactics are very different, and we're going to be looking at what I call his one-two punch to put believers on the canvas, and then I want to talk about how we can counter that, knock evil out of the way, all right? So if you want to join me in the passage we looked at uh, in this series so far, it's Ephesians, and it's chapter 6, and I just want us to look at a couple of verses there. Ephesians 6, verse 10. It says, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So Paul believed in a real personal devil, and he certainly believed in these unseen forces, which exist to this very day and oppose God's people, as I've said already. Now, when Satan does his stuff, when he attacks, whether we're talking about unbelievers or believers, his MO, his mode of operation is always going to be a lie. Satan specializes in lying. And that's kind of how he does things. In fact, Jesus exposed that in him in John chapter 8, verse, verse 44. When Jesus said about Satan, he says he was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So that's basically Satan in a nutshell. He's a liar, he's a father of lies. And he comes at us continuously that way. And the thing is, he always disguises his lies as truth. And that's why you've got to know what the truth is. That's why knowing the word of God is so imperative. That's why those of you as parents have got to teach your kids 
Not just rely on our great programs here at our church for our kids and our youth, but you have to take the effort to ingrain the truth into the minds and their hearts because there is an enemy stalking them. And he's so clever. He does it through media. He does it through every, every conceivable means to substitute a lie in for the truth. And I think we feel it today, don't we? We sense it today in our culture and the day we live in. And he kind of has two, two ways that he does that. The first thing he tries to do is he tries to get us to question our own belief system. And if you're a Christian, he tries to get you to question, hopefully, your belief system is based on the word of God, your worldview from God's perspective. That's what he did in the garden when he approached Adam and Eve. You remember the question he asked them in Genesis 3? Did God really say? What was his purpose in that? He wanted them to start questioning God. Now, I don't think there's anything wrong with asking God questions or questioning uh, certain aspects of what the Bible says as long as you pursue the answers, as long as you pursue trying to understand it based on what the Bible says, what God says, what scholars interpret, nothing wrong with looking at both sides of an issue, resolving it. What's dangerous, however, is when I start questioning God with a sense of arrogance and superiority. When I begin questioning God and I'm not really looking for answers, I'm trying to find a way to kind of put God under me, to have authority, so to speak, over God, or to put it this way, there's a danger when you start judging God. There's a big difference between saying, I want to find the truth, I want to, I want to really do this, this really true, it's very different when you ask that question from when you start actually judging God. Because the moment you judge God, you have to make something else superior. So you're either making what culture says superior or your own ideas more superior or what somebody else said more superior, but you have to do that. You have to do that. So he tries to get us to do that. And like I said, he's so clever at making it look good, making it feel like, seem like truth. He has all kinds of ways of doing that. And then the second thing he does is he actually tries to get us to change our worldview or change our view about what is right and what is wrong. And if he can get us to change our view, then he's leading us away from God. And then he's got us chasing things that are false. Isaiah said in his day this problem was going on. He said to his people, we, you know, we live at a time now when, he says, things that are good we call evil, or you call evil, and things that are evil you're calling good. And what Isaiah experienced in his day is exactly what, you know, the world has always experienced. We certainly experience it today. Wouldn't you agree? There's a lot of stuff today that, you know, we'd have no problem in the past saying that's evil, and today we call it good. There's stuff today that we had no problem saying that's good, that's being questioned or being called evil. And all of that, all of that, believe me, is being influenced by an unseen world in all kinds of subtle ways. And that's the... That's the pond that we live in, so to speak. That's where we are. And so we have to take this stuff seriously because, I mean, the enemy is not really worried about taking the unbeliever out because they're already out. What he wants to do is he wants to take you out. He wants to take you out. He wants to take your kids out. He wants to take your family out. So you've really got to be sharp. You've really got to be aware of what he's trying to do and learn how to counter that. Now, I want to take you to the end of a passage of Scripture found over in 2 Timothy chapter 2, 
where Paul is telling Pastor Timothy, young Pastor Timothy, that part of his responsibility and the other leaders is to move people away from heresy and move them into the truth. And at the end, he says something interesting. He says, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare, once you remember that, the snare of the devil, having been held captive, remember that, by him to do his will. Snare and captive. I don't know, when I was a kid, and we come back from the mission field, live my grandfather's farm, there are rabbits everywhere. And I, I'm doing a date myself, but that's okay. Anybody ever watched the old television show, Daniel Boone? Well, okay, some old people like me, all right? You're like, no, I just watch the reruns, all right? Some of you are like, Daniel who? All right, anyway, uh, I'd watch Daniel Boone, you know, and it'd be out, you know, you know, settling the, the, which was really the Midwest, Kentucky and those areas, and, and, you know, he'd be setting out traps, and I'd watch him set out a snare, and I, so I, I tried to do it. I never had any luck with it. But you know what a snare is? It's like a string or a rope, and you create a loop, or it can be a wire, and you create a loop at the end, and the loop has like a, has like a cinch knot. So that when the furry little bunny comes along, and my grandfather's farm had all kinds of rabbits, and I was trying to catch one, when he comes along, he will stick his foot in that little loop looking for his food, and when he goes to move away, it'll catch. And the minute it catches, it trips a mechanism, and that cinch knot just tightens around the foot or around the head or the neck or wherever the creature happens to have, whatever part of its body happens to have in that loop. And the more the creature strains, the more it tries to pull away, the tighter, the tighter the snare becomes. And it's held captive there until the hunter or huntress shows up I have to say huntress, this is Minnesota, <laughs> right? Until that, until that individual shows up and then, you know, does their thing with that poor little creature. Paul says, be careful, because Satan's the same way. He's got a snare set out there. And he's just waiting for you to enter the snare, to take the bait, so to speak. And when you try to get away, whoosh, he just tightens the knot. So what do you mean by that? What does that look like that? Well, I want to I escalate this. I want to move from the metaphor of a snare to a cage. But I'm not talking about the kind of cage you keep animals in. I'm talking about the kind of cage where UFC fighters fight. How many of you ever watch the UFC MMA? Anybody? It's okay to raise your hands. I watch it too once in a while, all right? I'm just curious, how many women watch it? You go, girls. All right, all right, okay? So we're going we're gonna, to have a little cage uh, fight here, uh, demonstration in just a few moments, but I, I got to put my boxing gloves on. And uh, I told the last source, I haven't, oops, I haven't had these on for a while. And um, getting them out this, this week, I thought I got to get back into it. But anyway, um, I'm going to put one glove on, and this, this glove is going to represent uh, the one-two punch. This is the one, okay? And we're going to call this punch the temptation, right? So the enemy always comes at us with a temptation. Then the enemy comes at us with a second blow, and this is the blow that takes us out. Now, I'll tell you what that blow is <clears throat> in just a minute. But first, I want to talk about temptation, right? Because temptation is all aimed at getting you and me to take sin lightly. The enemy wants us to take sin lightly, and the way he does that is he, he tries to turn it into, I gotta take my glasses off, I keep slipping down when I do this demonstration, all right? He turns, he turns it into um, a lie that, that feels like it's the truth, makes it colorful, makes it very attractive. He starts jabbing us, 
with it. And you'll jab us with questions like, now, why don't you go ahead and do that? Why don't you go ahead and have that? What's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with that. God says it's wrong. Well, who is God? You really believe in God? The Bible says it's wrong. How do you know the Bible is true? Maybe the Bible's not totally true. Maybe a bunch of men got together. Like, you know, I mean, the Old Testament, dude, that is old. Maybe you should unhitch from the Old Testament. And how about Paul? That dude's a grump, isn't he? I think, don't listen to what Paul has to say. Look at what Jesus has to say. And particularly what Jesus has to say about love. Man, it's all about love, right? And so if it feels good, it's not going to hurt anybody, then do it. Why? There's nothing wrong with it. Hey, everybody else is doing it. Everybody else takes advantage of the government. Everybody else takes advantage of, you know, their taxes and kind of, you know, it's okay. You got you to look out for yourself, man. It's all right. No problems with it. Okay, so that's kind of how, that's that jab and that temptation. But I thought we'd escalate this a little bit, all right? Kind of make it more real world. So I want you to welcome into the cage with me, Pastor Justin. Here he comes, all right? All right. Settle down, Justin. All right? Okay, so, uh, Justin, first of all, thank you for helping us out, all right? Good. Now, he's going to take a beating, all right? So uh, I really appreciate that, all right? Now, uh, first of all, Justin, let's go gravitate over here toward this beautiful chocolate cake that I didn't make, all right? But Lund's Barley makes it, all right? So it looks pretty good, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. You want to take a whiff? Yeah. A little chocolate. Go ahead. Smells good. good. Yeah, I feel high already. Caffeine, all right. So anyway, Justin, this chocolate cake is going to represent sin, all right? Now, it could be any form of sin that a person could be tempted with. It could be sexual sin. It could be uh, it could be in the area of, you know, like, like I was kind of doing cheating on taxes, which I'm sure you've never done, have you? Never. Never done, okay. Yep. Now, wouldn't that be, like, wouldn't that be terrible if you have, but you didn't want to admit it, you just lied? Anyway, uh, so, um, or it could, uh, you can confess later, okay. all right? Uh, or it could represent, you know, an attitude, a bad attitude, you know, bitterness, anger we want to feel. But here's one thing I do know about sin when it presents itself, when Satan presents it to us, he always presents it as a chocolate cake. He makes it look good. Because if, if it was ugly, it was terrible, we would never be attracted to it, right? So he's got to make it look good and feel good. Even like, even like anger and bitterness. You know, I don't know about you, sometimes when I try not to be angry, it feels worse than when I can let loose, right? It's just like when you can let loose, you feel better afterwards, right? Or, or when you're, you know, you're jealous or you're vindicted towards somebody. So it comes in all kinds of flavors and, and it's all very attractive, okay? So we'll keep that in mind, all right? And so you're going to represent a Christian, okay. all right? You are a Christian? I am. All right, I want to make sure of that, all right? And uh, I got to represent the devil, which I don't like doing, all right? But I have to tell you a story, all right? I called my wife. I was down in Florida because of my mom's situation this week. And I called my wife, Marsha, and it was that wow, okay? And Florida's an hour different, right? So I just want to see how she was doing. And she usually gets home by 8.30, right? And I'm looking at the clock and it says 8.30 and I keep calling and I keep calling. And I call like four times because I'm wondering where she is. Quarter to nine, I'm calling. I forgot it's an hour earlier here. Oh. I'm calling her while she's talking. 
So when I finally got a hold of her, she said, the devil was really bothering me tonight. <laughs> so that's who I'm gonna play, the devil, all right? I don't know why I told that story. It's an ADHD moment, all right? All right? Look at the squirrel. Anyway, all right, here we go, all right? So here we are, okay? I represent the devil. You're Christian, okay? And we're gonna get started. Now you gotta keep your mitts up, okay? Because the most vulnerable place is the head. All right? You want to protect that. And the Bible tells us that the most vulnerable place, spiritually speaking, in our lives is our mind. You got to protect your mind because that's where the enemy brings his lies. So you want to protect it with the truth, right? And our position in Christ, the helmet of salvation, Paul talks further about in Ephesians chapter 6. So here's how it goes you got your guard up. Satan comes along and says, Hey, Justin, look at that chocolate cake. You know that chocolate cake's been sitting out here all morning long. Do you know why? That chocolate cake is for you. Just you, buddy. Nobody else. Happy birthday, Justin. It's for you. And it just came out of the oven. It is warm. It is moist. Do you like chocolate cake? It's there for you. What? You heard that chocolate cake's not good for you? Who said that? Hey, look at all the people who eat chocolate cake. There are all kinds of people who eat chocolate cake. Nothing bad ever happens to them. Nothing bad ever going to happen to you. Go ahead and take some chocolate cake. You don't want to take it? All right. Well, how about we smell some chocolate cake? Can't hurt, smell it, can it? Come on, take a whiff of it. And you know what? Take your finger, just take a little bit of chocolate, the tip of your finger, put it on your tongue and see if anything bad really happens to you because nothing bad's gonna happen to you. When you realize nothing bad's gonna happen to you, then you can have a whole piece of chocolate cake. Come on, Justin. Now imagine, imagine hearing that air, keep your guard up, imagine, <laughs> all right? Imagine hearing that every day as you go to work or as you go to school or in your neighborhood or at the gym or in front of the computer or wherever it is. Every day, every day, cake, cake, cake. Eventually, what happens? Eventually, you drop your guard, right? And you go for the cake, all right? So go for the cake, Justin. And as soon as you take that cake, out comes the right. Now, this is temptation. This is accusation. Satan tempts us because he loves the right cross. He loves to deliver the knockout blow. He loves to accuse us. So this one is called what? And this one is called? So you go for the cake and across comes the right and knocks you out down to the ground. Very dramatic. All right, good job. All right. Now, as soon as the enemy has you down, okay, his next step is to stand there, all right, and accuse you over and over again. So you're trying to get up, right? Justin, what a loser, man. Why did you take that chocolate cake? How many times have you been told, leave the chocolate cake alone? You are such, you're so pathetic. What does your wife think? What do your kids think? What's the church think? What's your ministry? You don't even belong in the ministry. You don't even belong as a Christian. I doubt you're even a Christian. I don't think God has any more time or space for you. You just keep doing this over and over again. You are such a loser. You are so pathetic. Man, don't you just hate yourself? Whoa. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever just felt like you're under these blows of, of accusations and you're kind of like agreeing with most of those accusations, you feel absolutely defeated. Do you see the snare? You see how tight it's getting? On the one hand, you fell for it, and now on the other hand, you can't get up from it. So how do you counter it? Well, let's talk about that. Justin, get back up again, all right, after those mighty blows, all right? So, so here's the question. They like you, that's good, all right? So here's the question. How do you, how do you avoid how do you avoid this whole thing? How do you avoid taking the cake? 
Well, the first issue is don't get into the fight, right? And, and Paul gives us great advice what to do. He says, for instance, for instance, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, flee immorality, flee immorality. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, flee idolatry. Over in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he tells Timothy, and basically the context is flee materialism, flee slander, flee divisiveness, flee jealousy, flee anger. The whole concept is get out of there, flee. So run, Justin, run. All right. It's a good sport. So the whole idea is don't, don't fight with the devil. Just don't get into a battle with the devil because you are always going to lose. He is relentless and he's clever and he disguises the lies to look delicious, to look tantalizing, to look entertaining, to look exciting, and to feel that way. So if it's a person you're being tempted by, whether they're intentionally tempting you or they're not even intentionally doing it, but for some reason you're struggling, then don't, don't be around that person or don't be alone with that person. Whether you know, it's at school or at work or at the gym or wherever it might be. Or if it's a substance that you struggle with and you, and you abuse that substance, then don't have the substance around. Get away from it. Don't be there when it's around. Or if it's the internet. Or if your parent, you know, as parents, if you have kids that are you know, having sleepovers with their friends, you know, what kind of values do they have? What are they going to be watching? Remove that obstacle or have it out in the open where everybody else can see it so you can govern it and, and be sure what's going on. If you're a student and you struggle with certain video games that don't send the right message, then, then don't go somewhere where all those video games are. See what I'm trying to say? In other words, don't be where the stuff is because it will get you eventually, right? Because it's, it's, it tastes good. It looks good. It's, it can be overwhelming. So remove yourself from the situation. Say, well, if I remove from the situation, I won't, you know, people won't like me. They'll think I'm a weirdo. Better to not be liked and be thought a weirdo than to succumb to the cake. Better to be isolated. Better to be a little bit lonely than try to please everybody and succumb to the cake. But the second tactic you can take, and this has to do with, with thoughts that come into our minds. It can be thoughts from past sins, past things that, that you did, that you've dealt with, but they come back to you. They kind of haunt you, haunt you. And Satan just loves to use the past. He likes to remind us of our failures. Or it may be, it may be a, a bizarre thought that you didn't even ask for. It just came to you. Uh, and it's, maybe it's sexual in nature. Maybe it's, maybe it's um, uh, uh, derogatory. Maybe it's a thought of getting even, a thought of jealousy, a thought of anger. And it just comes swooping in, Right? I want, to, I want to tell you something. You have to be careful when, when sinful thoughts present themselves to you, all right? You have to be careful you don't wrestle with them. And here's what I mean by that. When sinful thoughts come your way, whether it's from a movie or from a video or from a person or it just comes, right? If you start wrestling with it, if you start battling it and you start saying, why am I having this thought? Where did this thought come from? I don't want this thought. God, this isn't how I want to think. I, and, and you start wrestling with it, it will get bigger and stronger. Please understand me. It will get bigger and stronger. You are adding energy to it. 
Just like I said, run, Justin, run. Run away, flee the situation. Flee from that thought. Don't entertain the thought. Don't wrestle with the thought. Don't get upset by the thought. Get away from that thought. That's why Paul said in Philippians chapter four, verse eight, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. The one thing you can change is your thinking. What you're gonna think about. So when those thoughts come, whatever those thoughts are, however negative they are, however bad they are, Thoughts of violence, thoughts of injury, thoughts of you know, sexual, whatever, thoughts of, I mean, you name it. Change your thinking. If the problem is the chocolate cake, think about a peach pie. You see what I'm trying to say? Switch your thoughts. You will be amazed. You will be amazed at how that chocolate cake begins to dissipate and disappear but there'll be a nagging behind you, I guarantee you. And the nagging will be, you can't leave that alone. You've gotta, you need to go back and understand why you had that thought in the first place. Don't listen to it. That's the snare. Move on and think about new things. And the enemy will find he can't get at you. Now, let's move on and let's talk about what happens when we take the cake, right? When we go ahead and we take it and we're down on the mat and Satan is pounding us and Satan is accusing us. When that happens to you as a follower of Christ, listen carefully, you need to tell yourself, you need to tell the enemy, this is not my battle. This is not my battle. This battle has already been won. This battle has already been won. You say, what do you mean by that? What I mean by that is when Satan accuses you as a believer, he has no basis on which to accuse you. Say, but I just took the cake. The evidence is there. He has no basis to accuse you. Why? Because Christ died for you. And when Christ died for you, he took to himself your guilt, your shame, your sins, he took all of that on himself. He became you. He took the accusation. He took the condemnation. He took the punishment, the guilt sentence, the death sentence. He took it on himself. He became you so you can become him. And so God looks at you and looks at me as though we never ever in our life have taken a piece of cake. So when I take the cake, I literally take the cake. God looks at me like I haven't taken the cake. Because he's a God of grace. Because he's a God of mercy. See, the temptation for us as believers is when we take the cake and we realize we've blown it, what do we always try to do? We try to redeem ourselves. We try to redeem ourselves. We go back to the way we used to think before we became a Christian. How do we try to redeem ourselves? We try to redeem ourselves in all kinds of ways. For some of us, this is warped, but we try to redeem ourselves through self-hatred, through self-hatred. I hate myself. Oh, how could I do this? Why is I do this over and over again? I know better and I keep failing and I keep, I keep blowing it. I hate me. And the idea is if I, if I hate, it's kind of sadistic, if I hate myself enough, 
then I kind of wait till I feel like if I'm, I'm so self-hateful that now God can accept me. I, re, you know, I kind of I punish myself. God must, you know, God's looking at me now going, he really hates himself. We better take him back. That's kind of weird, isn't it? That's how, that's what happens. Or we get religious. And we figure, okay, I, I gotta get back in God's good grace, so I'm going to go one more time to church a month. I'm going to give more. I'm actually going to go serve someplace. I'm gonna, do, I'm gonna be kinder and nicer. I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna get so angry. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put up more with people and things because of what I said and what, what I've done. And we live with that until we feel that we've done enough and we start feeling less and less guilty and we assume now I'm okay with God. When all we've done is simply we've become God. You know, we've assumed God's position and, and we're kind of treating ourselves the way we would treat ourselves if we were God. It's just, it's just it's, it's insane to do that. Because there's nothing you can do to redeem yourself. If you did, if you could, then Christ wouldn't have died for you and me. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12. It says, with his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he, that's Christ, entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption, how long? Forever, forever and ever. Say, I love what you're saying, but I'm struggling with what you're saying. And I know, I know why you're struggling, because I, I, I can struggle with it too. It's just hard for us to believe that we could take the cake and God would treat us like we didn't take the cake, because we took the cake. And Paul anticipated that we would feel that way and that's why he wrote what we call Romans chapter six. So turn there for just a moment. See, Paul was worried that as he talked about God's grace, people would then say, well, if God doesn't see me like one taking the cake, that means I can just go take cake all day long. And Paul's like, no, I gotta correct your thinking in all of this. So he, wrote, he writes Romans chapter six, verse one. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Now, in the Greek, he uses what would be modern term swear word here, all right? He says, by no means, or may it never be, or blank no. <laughs> it's that strong. So this is not what I'm saying. It's like he's putting his foot down saying, don't sit there and think I, I'm saying grace allows us to continue in sin. Then he goes on in the passage, he says, by no means, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? He says, we have a new life in Christ. You keep reading down in verse 11, he says, he says uh, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Now, this Paul is saying, look, your old self died with Christ. You have a new you, have a new you that's in Christ. Put on the new you, live in the new you. Live into who you are. Become who you are in Christ. Leave that old life alone. But what he makes clear in the scriptures and, and other writers like John make clear is that when we do blow it as Christians, we don't lose our salvation. We're still held by the grace of God. And God looks at us as though we never took the cake. That's the only way God can accept us because he sees his son in us. Listen, how many of your parents... All right, we'll admit it, sure, all right? When my kids were young and, and, and still at home, they disobeyed 
us once in a while. Do your kids disobey you? More than once in a while? Yeah, of course, all of us know that, right? When my kids, when my sons or my daughter disobeyed Marsha and me, they did not stop being our sons and our daughter. It didn't stop us from loving them. We loved them as much as, as the day they were born or came into our lives. When you blow it, you don't stop being God's child because he paid a price for you. But when my kids did disobey me, it strained our relationship. They created the strain. I wanted to bless them. I wanted to do things to them. I couldn't because they put this object in the way and the object, the cake, had to be dealt with. And the way it was dealt with is I either had to confront them or they came to me and said I took the cake. And out of love, I forgave them. That's why John writes to Christians in 1 John 1, 9, he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That is, he'll restore the relationship. And God wants to restore a healthy, strong relationship with us. That's why if I take the cake and I take it over here and I'm eating the cake and I don't want to say to God, I took the cake and I'm eating the cake and I keep it here, God will come looking for me. Have you ever gone looking for your sons or your daughters? Where were they hiding, right? Where was Adam and Eve hiding? You go and search them out. Why do you go and search them out? Because you're concerned about them. You want them to be well. You want them to be right. The Bible says God chastises or disciplines those whom he loves. So if you're a sincere follower of Christ, you've done that out of love. God will come looking for you. And sometimes the way God gets our attention can be rather challenging, can't it? Even to the point that 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you can read it later on, says that there were some who God took home early because they're making such a mess of their lives. God just said, okay, I can't do anything with you. I'm going to take you now. That's how serious God is about it. But my point here in all of this is to simply say to you, don't have a conversation with the devil. You don't need to. He has nothing against you. He has no evidence against you. You say, but I took the cake. But yes, Christ took it for you. He took the result of the accusation for you. God sees you as though you have never sinned. Your conversation needs to be with your father. The conversation needs to be, Father, I know you died for me. I know you still love me. I took the cake. I know it's wrong. I'm sorry for doing it. I, want, I just want to make sure everything's clear between me and you. I want to enjoy you. I want you to be able to enjoy me. And that's how we deal with it. That's how we work with it. That's God's grace. Are you living in that grace? Are you living in that freedom? Are you living in that hope? Someone has said that the real sin, the real sin is that we don't believe that God's grace is big enough for us. The real sin is not believing that God's grace is big enough for you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we uh, humble ourselves before you right now. And Lord, I am sure there are some people here and watching online who are being jabbed right now with all kinds of temptation. Father, we, I don't know what the source of it is. They do. And God, they just need to, they need to get out. They need to get out of the way. 
They need to remove themselves from that person, from that situation, Lord, from in front of that screen to wherever it is, Lord, and just get away so the enemy has nothing to hit. Father, some of us need to just change our thinking. Father, we're plagued by thoughts of the past. We're plagued by, by, by thoughts that come at us that seeming no, from nowhere, Lord. God, I pray and ask, help us to change our thoughts. You've given us that power. To, and Lord, to leave the past alone, to just stop. Move forward with good thoughts, true thoughts, right thoughts. Father, some of us have bad thoughts about ourselves that are not, they're not from you, they're from the enemy. We've got to stop thinking those thoughts. Think true thoughts. And Father, there's some people that are here this morning that are flat out on the canvas. They have succumbed to sin and temptation. And God, they're being pummeled right now by the enemy. They feel useless, they feel worthless, they feel hopeless. Maybe someone's even telling them that. I thank you that you're a God of grace who forgives. I thank you that we don't lose our status with you, that you bought us with your blood. Lord, help us to stop arguing with ourselves, arguing with Satan. We confess what we did. We ask your forgiveness. We pray for your help. For those of us, Lord, who are repeat offenders, God, it's a habit in our life. We, we may need to get more help. Thank you for placing the church. Thank you for placing Christians and counselors in our lives to help us work through those things, changing our habits, changing our ways. You are for us, God. You're not against us. And I thank you for that. You're our cornerstone. May we be anchored to you in Christ's name. Amen.